0: Welcome
1: to the Fat Guys with Smokers podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm John. We're a couple of overweight barbecue enthusiasts trying to share our love for sweet and smoky food with the world.
2: Thanks for hanging out with us as we talk about life, share recipes, successes, and failures that have all led to our love of cooking outdoors. Welcome, everybody to the Fat Guys with Smokers Podcast. I'm Mike, here with John, and
1: a very special guest. A
2: very special guest. We have talked about this many times and have finally pulled the trigger. We're here with Danny. How's it going, Danny? It's going great. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for being here. Most importantly, thank you for
0: for breakfast this morning. Dude. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was um, a little unorthodox breakfast, but... I'm not going to complain. It turned out well.
1: Hey, I think it's on, it is on theme and on point for for what we're talking about today. So. Absolutely. I was
2: worried about yeah. it, but it was phenomenal. So, no regrets.
1: Everyone should be very nervous about what we're talking about. Yeah. That's true, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I even... Especially
0: since it correlates with less noise that comes from my backyard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Danny, Danny, Danny. <laughs> hey, I'm going to try real hard to keep it PG, but. It's I, all right. I am who I am. PG, PG-13, it's it's all good. Well, yeah. I don't think we'll hit the 13 level. That's well, what I'm talking about.
1: Danny, normally we do a shout out, but since you're here, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself
0: and uh, where they can find you on social media? Yeah, you bet. So um, I'm, a, I'm a general contractor. And a professional fisherman, um, been doing that for a few years. I'm sponsored by Nine to Five. They're a pretty laid back sponsor. They don't care if I win too many tournaments or not. But uh, yeah, I've been doing that as much as I can. And and uh, you can find me on Instagram d un, d three underscore management. And uh, you'll see a lot of pretty pictures of my truck and trailer because I'm also a traileraholic. You uh,
1: you do have a pretty truck.
0: Yeah. And trailers. That's the, I like the trailers as much as the trucks. Are you really a professional fisherman? Uh, sponsored by nine to five.
1: I did
2: not know this. Yeah, yeah. You guys are laughing like there's an inside <laughs> joke here, but that
0: sounds awesome. It is awesome. I have to work a nine to five to be ah. able to fish, and um, <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But I do do. Uh, I do do. I do you said do do. I did it. I did it. I hate it. <laughs> I do a couple of fishing tournaments a year though. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I don't mean, know I took second in my last one. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did. I feel like I know a lot of things about you, Danny. I didn't know that. I took second in my last fishing tournament. Where Some, was it? It was uh, it was a saltwater tournament. Yeah, it was down in Tampa, Florida. Are you serious? Yeah.
2: Holy cow. Yeah.
0: That's I'll, uh, awesome. I'll send you a picture when I get. It. There's a there's a team of us that go out and, and it's a pretty cool deal, actually I'll speak to that. It's part of a charity event. And uh, it benefits the the um, children with Adolescent Diabetes Foundation, I think is what they call it. Mm. And uh, so you pay to get in the tournament and then um, all the proceeds from the tournament goes to that foundation. So it's, it's like 95% charity fundraiser, 5% tournament. That's why I won second place because the competition is not that stiff, but mm. it's a good time.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Danny, we uh, we're obviously a, a barbecue podcast. Tell us uh, tell us a little bit about how how you got into outdoor cooking, what uh, what uh, what inspired you to to do the things you do.
0: Yeah, great great question. I thought about that a little bit, um, and I got into outdoor cooking. Really, my mom was kind of the inspiration there. It seems like. Everywhere we went in the summertime involved a Dutch oven and her behind the coals. And uh, it also seemed like she was cooking for groups all the time. If there was a gathering in my hometown, it involved probably her or one of our friends behind the coals of a Dutch oven dinner. And so that's really where I got introduced to outdoor cooking.
1: Mm. Yeah, you were saying she like regularly did cooks for over 100 people.
0: It seemed like it. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, yeah, did you regularly. Get, did you get pulled
1: into prep and like, were you chopping potatoes for days? and?
0: No, I don't know. She's just my mom and Wonder Woman. I don't know how she did it. I, it didn't even really seem like an inconvenience. It just seemed like, oh uh, yeah, mom's cooking for, you know, all of you in a county again. Well, or like, yeah. all I Shane County again. So that's crazy. I mean, we... I have I have pictures of her. I'll see if I can find one and share with you guys. I have pictures of her standing under tarps that have been tied between trees, just downpour rain, with like five Dutch ovens all stacked on top of each other while she's tending mm-hmm. coals, trying to keep things hot. So hmm.
1: that's crazy. Uh, we uh, we've talked a little bit about like some of the big cooks we've done. We talked about the the pig that we cooked and. Mm-hmm. I mean, cooking big chunks of meat takes a lot of time and energy to just to plan it, to prep it and get it going. But to have to do Dutch ovens, like even with a 14 or a 16 inch Dutch oven, like you can only get so
0: much food in one of those. And
1: yeah, I can just imagine her with like 20 Dutch ovens going in all the work that would go into that. It's crazy.
0: It always seemed like there was people willing to help. Like, I don't think she did it all by herself, but I don't like it wasn't a business or anything it was just so she just hey, did will, this hey leo will you come cook it you know this group event or this you know camp out or or fill in the blank and and so she would be there so how did that evolve into you taking over the fire uh she always she always let me explore and try new things and the you know when it when it came to cooking and i had full access to her cookbooks and and so I'd try cooking new things as, as early as as early as I can remember. I'd be trying to make pancakes from sh- scratch and stuff. And I remember, you know, my whole family choking down pancakes that I made with baking soda instead of baking powder because oh. I didn't <laughs> understand the difference. <laughs> Man. But she, but she, you know, she was super supportive and never never criticized me for it and said, yeah, I mean, they taste like you used baking soda instead of baking powder, but that's okay. I mean, they turned out okay. They look good. The texture's good. And next time you'll know to use the, you know, the yellow box instead of the white can <laughs> I have not cooked pancakes with baking soda since <laughs> since that experience huh? they taste a little different not good I can imagine that's funny But yeah everything she just you know I could I could ruin a hundred dollars worth of groceries and she would just kind of laugh and s- smile and say yeah it's getting better mm. that's awesome that's way cool but, oh man Sometimes
1: I think about my parenting style and like where I'm at and like my mom was way more patient with me than I am with my kids. Like my grandma was super patient with me when I'd screw stuff up and that generation, man, they, they were awesome. But, um, you know, when, when we're kind of going over show notes and stuff, I, I was reading some of the stuff you put down about your high school and, your high school experience living close to the high school and you did something that like Mike and I joke about doing over at the church on Sunday mornings or between meetings between like, I would love to do this at, at my nine to five out in the parking lot, like tailgating your lunch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how that started was my house was, was just one field away from the high school it was a big open field. And it was It just kind of was an open invitation people would just come to our house even if they weren't really friends of ours Or you know we didn't spend much time together just we had off-campus lunch at high school and and we'd walk home and people would join us and my mom would serve them food didn't matter who they were or how well we knew them to the point where no joke sometimes i wouldn't go home but i had friends that would (laughs) and my mom would still serve them lunch
2: (laughs) that's awesome
0: yeah i have a friend my mom my mom served him like chicken cacciatore and uh by himself i wasn't there and so that was that happened but uh we started to talk about man we should do this we should do that and and then one day she said okay a friday come home for lunch and i'll have dutch oven dinner going for you and uh so that turned into well then i'm going to try to cook dutch oven dinner and so we'd put it on in the morning and and you know yeah. super low and we'd come home and we'd eat dutch oven that we cooked and and then that developed into well it's my turn to cook so i'm going to bring my grill and and uh you know, my buddies turn to cook. And so I'm going to bring up my grill and in the bed of the truck. And so we'd be out there flipping hamburgers on these old gas grills with our student ID cards because we weren't smart enough to bring spatulas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh,
2: That's awesome.
0: But yeah, it was, you know, through high school, pretty much standard standard procedure Friday afternoon or Friday lunchtime. You know, Danny and his buddies, they're going to be they're going to be cooking somewhere, whether it's the parking lot or or the field behind Danny's house. <laughs> I love that. It was it was a blast. It was a good time and and I grew up in a small town about 5,000 people and and the teachers were super into it too and and we several times we shared a burger with with teachers. Mm. So, so you know, you think about it now and a big smoke plume coming from the parking lot, you might catch some <laughs> flack for it. Yeah. But no, back then they just came and said pass the mustard. So <laughs> mm.
1: I love it. I just like I've I've got this image of Danny twenty years ago flipping flipping burgers with his ID and then fast forward to
0: today in my driveway over a charcoal say grill with a pocket knife, turning <laughs> stuff over. I'm not joking. We went through a lot of student IDs because they'd start off, you know, like three and a half by five inches or whatever, but by the end of the month they were like two and a half by three <laughs> inches. <laughs> and it leaf. never it never really happened at once, so you didn't notice it. Like you didn't take a bite of your burger and realize you were chewing on somebody's picture. (laughs) But, uh, you know, at the end of the month, you'd realize, huh, we've all consumed a little bit of plastic. (laughs) That's awesome. That was great.
1: So you've, uh, you've evolved a little bit. You're at least now onto metal utensils
0: rather than plastic. Well, yeah, I'm scrappy. If I didn't have that, I still would have used an ID today. I, whatever, whatever it takes, nothing gets in the way of good food.
1: What? Uh, tell us a little bit about your what you cook today and what grills, charcoal, wood, gas, pellets.
0: Yeah. So, as far as cooking utensils go, I um, I prefer charcoal over everything. It's just a time commitment and. Um, but that's kind of the beauty of barbecue: is that the time is is as good as the meal. So I prefer charcoal any chance I get, but uh, I'll cook on gas if I have to. That's kind of my last resort, and then um, I'll do a I'll do a pellet grill as well. And to be honest, unpopular opinion, so beat me up later. They're um, they're okay. They're convenient. I like them out of convenience. I don't really like them out of top shelf flavor, but I'm also not that big of a snob, so I enjoy the flavor as well but if i had a full saturday to do nothing except for make top shelf food it would be over charcoal nice
1: yeah i think we we've talked about that before the pellet grill like
0: it's convenient you can
1: get good flavor but it it's just a huge convenience yeah yeah you can
0: yeah the internet warriors are having a heart attack right now but yeah yeah yeah, that's that's okay charcoals Mm -hmm. charcoal's
1: got awesome flavor but it's, it's real hard to to throw a pork shoulder on a charcoal smoker and walk away from it for nine to five and come back and still have a decent meal.
0: Yeah, if you're throwing a pork shoulder on charcoal, you're going to eat in about three and a half hours, mm-hmm. and that's just all there is yeah. to it. And you're and. It's going to taste good, but it's not going to be fall off the port fall off the bone experience.
1: Yeah. Well, Mike, you were telling me the other day that you tried the snake method mm-hmm. with charcoal.
2: Yeah. It was awesome. It actually worked. I've I've seen it online a bunch. So the snake method, you just like pour the charcoal in I used so I used my Vortex, which is just like a cone, poured the charcoal along the outside and then just lit one end. So the whole like bottom of the grill was not on fire and It was just a small piece of it and it slowly worked its way around and it it actually stayed pretty, what did I cook on that? A chuck roast? And it stayed pretty, I mean, consistently where, right where you wanted it. It was indirect. So I put the meat in the middle and the charcoal kind of burned along the outside slowly. Um, Yeah, it actually, it kind of changed my mind because I've done a lot of pork shoulders like on my drum and stuff. And that's how it is. Like they're done in three hours and it's good. It's not bad, but it's not the fall off the bone tender, you know. Uh, But I wonder if I could make that work uh, using that method. So
0: I don't know. Well, let me know when you try. Yeah, I will. (laughs) How long did did it burn for?
2: I mean, it, there was still probably six inches left and it was probably a five, five hour cook. Wow. So, I mean, I think it could have kept going and I guess... If you were really hardcore, I guess you could keep the
0: charcoal going around it or get a bigger circle, I don't know. This is going to be a provocative question, I guess, but what was the weather like that day? It was freezing cold. It was like two degrees, so. But the humidity was all right, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I'd get worried about is leaving charcoal unattended on on high humid days is, you know, even, even if you have supply if you have high humidity it's kind of tricky to maintain temp
2: yeah 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 no it was pretty dry
0: you asked another question john i think you asked you know what did we cook today i cooked right did you ask that how how do i cook it and and what did i cook
1: yeah what do you what do you like to cook let's start there if last meal i think we've established you're cooking on charcoal yeah what what are you cooking last meal
0: Oh boy. And you guys were worried about me keeping a PG 13. That's a touch <laughs> dark. <but laughs> I, I, I can, I can hang, I can work through that last meal. I think that I'm going to go with probably try tip.
2: Nice. I'm a yeah. big fan.
0: Yeah. And, and the reason is because <laughs> it has a high impress factor. And a low effort factor, which is kind of how I've tried to model my life. So it's kind of <laughs> symbolic. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. What do you Mostly cook tri-tip be- on? Um, I'll cook it. I've cooked it on gas, charcoal, and a, and a pellet. I charcoal again, hands down. But um, it's not bad on gas. It's yeah. it it turns out pretty good on gas. I also. That's one of the I talked to you earlier this morning about you know how I prefer my my internal temperature and that's one that I'll I'll actually hold in the 120, 120 range so um, especially on gas so get a good solid sear on it and and make sure you have it um, make sure you have it seasoned right and and uh, slice it super thin and, and you can cook that one pretty rare and, and have it turn out well on on gas or whatever you're cooking it on. Mm-hmm, cool. What uh talk to us about seasoning what. What's your go-to? Kosher salt. I don't care what you're cooking. If it doesn't have kosher salt, it's wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and I, I, I'm I, kind of a stickler for kosher salt, too. I, I won't do table salt on the pit. That added iodine, you call me a conspiracy theorist all you want, <laughs> and you'll probably be right. But that added <laughs> iodine, I think, changes the flavor significantly. And uh, so that kosher salt just really brings out the right flavors. And then after, after you've established a good kosher salt, you can, I mean, you put whatever you want on it and it's going to turn out okay. You can put, I like to do a lot with garlic. I like to do, I, I do enjoy rosemary. I I use a lot of rosemary on, on red meats and, and those are probably my top three, rosemary, garlic, and, and kosher salt. And you can pretty much make the world happen with those three and, you know, give and take different, different seasons, onion powder, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Okay. I'm a savory guy though. I'm not I'm not a big sweet rub kind of a person. No, that's awesome. Um
1: just looking through looking through our notes here, um oh, tell tell us a little bit about Steve. You talked about your mom being kind of one of your mentors and inspirations.
0: Yeah, so so Steve Steve Risk is uh well he's passed now, but he um, he was a family friend and I'm not sure where the relationship started, but it, it goes back to as early as I can remember and and through the, you know, through the years and still good friends with their family. And he had, he was, if there, if it wasn't my mom cooking for the whole county, it was Steve cooking for the whole county. and And neither one of them did it professionally. It was just, you know, hobbyists, but it was, yeah. it was kind of the, before the Instagram, Facebook stuff, and they were just, hey, we have an event. Let's ask one of these people to cook for it. And so he had a full trailer, and this trailer was was crazy. And you know, you see the the big smoker trailers now, and you're like, oh, that'd be cool. But his trailer had it had a big smoker built into it, and it had cabinets for his Dutch ovens, and it had stacks to get charcoal going, and it had a full uh, what do they call it, uh, chuck wagon. You could open up a cupboard and there'd be yeah. like a bag of flour and oh, no, like he cool. could, he could do anything in there. In fact, one cool story about him is he fried up, it was probably, probably for 200, 200 uh, young women. There was a, there was a, you know, a, a local event at one of the churches there and, and uh, he fried up probably 200 fried chickens, not like 200 fried chicken legs, 200 fried chickens. Oh, wow. And, um. Holy cow incredible so this was up in up in the mountains and uh, my dad was there and i and uh, my sisters everybody was there so anyway there was later that night after they'd cleaned up food they heard something digging around in the garbage cans and they went out looking to figure out what the what the noise was and steve and my dad were out there with a flashlight and uh, they come around the corner and a bear stood up and uh, from the from the way they tell it, i was i was asleep obviously in, in no harm's way but um because I was a young kid, but from the way they tell it, I mean, it was sub 10 feet. It was, if the bear had come down onto its feet, it would have been close enough. They could have pet it. So, oh my goodness, the bear liked his fried chicken too. He passed, (laughs) passed the vibe check for sure. (laughs) Anyway, he was, he was just a, just a staple in my hometown of good, good outdoor cooking. Steve's probably involved. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Oh man. I can only imagine how many times that story got told.
0: Yeah, and you ought to hear it from someone that was there. I mean, I told it kind of casually, but they have <laughs> you know, they have sounds and smells and um, Oh, I
1: next time I see oh, your dad, I'm yeah. absolutely asking oh, yeah, him about sure. the bear.
0: Yeah, he'll he remembers. Jeez. He was uh, <laughs> I would have fainted, I think. That would've scared the crap out of me.
1: <laughs> oh. I think Danny's dad might be one of the greatest storytellers
0: and oh. and he, and he's he's pretty good but there was a generation before him that he learned it from that yeah. buckle up <laughs> yeah that's awesome um all right. one
1: last uh one last kind of get to know you question here as we're going through this and then let's then we'll get to get to breakfast talking about that but what uh and this will probably be a good segue because I know the answer to this question is what most memorable cook that you've, uh, that you've done personally. Thanksgiving
0: 2022. Is that just because you have a bad memory or? No, that's, that's part of it. I do have a bad memory, but, um, dinner for Thanksgiving 2022 started about Christmas 2021. And, um, I just got this strong desire to do a fully homegrown thanksgiving dinner if i didn't grow it i'm not eating it and um you'll you'll learn as we got into that we cheated a little bit meaning um i did make the kids make their own butter but i was fresh out of cow so i did buy heavy cream and make them churn the butter and also i couldn't fit enough wheat on my property to grow to make bread so we made the kids grind wheat that we bought. So I didn't grow my own wheat, but it was, so we cheated, but we tried to make up for it through manual labor.
1: And, um,
0: but everything else, everything else we, um, we grew and we cooked. So, you know, early spring we started to plan, well, what do we want to eat for dinner? Well, potatoes, got to have potatoes. So we figured out what we needed to grow potatoes and, well, we wanna have apple pie, so we made sure that we took care of our apple trees and got them pruned at the right time. And and then uh, we had a really weird spring last spring where it would freeze and then it would get to 60 degrees and then it would freeze again. Mm -hmm. And so I remember for almost two, three weeks straight, we were out tarping trees to make sure that we didn't lose any fruit. And, um, we did end up losing a lot of fruit, but we saved about four apples, which was enough to make a very small apple pie. And we all appreciated every single bite. (laughs) Yeah. And we did that with everything, onions, uh, carrots, all of it. And then when it came time to, when it came time to do Thanksgiving, oh, you're probably asking about the protein. Um, fun fact about me, I don't really love Turkey and, uh, I didn't want to raise one, so we raised lambs instead. And so in October of twenty twenty two, um we butchered the lambs and, and processed them and, and had them fully ready. And so we everything, everything on the table was was homegrown or you know, home made to some degree, including when we made the pies, we had rendered our own tallow to be able to make our pie crusts with the with the wheat that we ground so we didn't we didn't even buy we didn't even buy lard you know we holy cow you know, that's crazy we we rendered our own fat to be able to do it and and it was great cuz it was a year long we got to and we got to think about it and um you know prepare for it and plan and then and then on Thanksgiving my mom came out and my dad came out and and my oldest sister came out and then my family and and it really was everything on the table we were just super grateful for oh um we didn't use sugar because I don't raise sugar cane, we used uh, honey. Because I have several beehives, okay. so we sub any oh, recipe wow. that called for sugar, we substituted with honey. Really? Yeah. And so it was great. I mean, you you enjoy the potatoes, and you're like, these are really good. But this is the last bite, and you know, normal for Thanksgiving, you you just eat so much, you want to be sick. And and uh, we still ate a ton, but when when the food's gone, the food's gone. And so enjoy that bite because there are no seconds. Mm. And uh, we had plenty of food left over on some of the things, like we had carrots and and parsnips for days. But um, the mashed potatoes went pretty quick, and okay. that's it. Mashed potatoes are gone. They're gone. So
1: that's crazy.
0: Grew our garlic. Grew everything. And so it was. It just felt. I've never had a meal. Uh. For lack of a better word, ground me. Like it just felt mm. very. Like, on the edge of spiritual experience, like it was just very grounding. Hmm. I enjoyed it. I'm a hundred percent doing it again. That's going to be, that's going to be a thing going forward. Now, the next day, my wife does like Turkey. So we did a traditional Thanksgiving (laughs) that, you know, on black Friday, we cooked a regular bird and used store-bought potatoes, but the, the real Thanksgiving was full of homegrown.
1: That's awesome, man. That's so cool. Um, so I get, I've brought this up a couple of times. You and I have talked about lamb quite a bit. Oh yeah, in our friendship, and uh, I mean, you, you you said it well this morning. Like, nine and a half out of ten people are going to turn their nose up at lamb.
0: Oh yeah, lamb. Lamb is hands down one of the most underrated sources of protein in America. I'd say the rest of the world has it figured out, but Americans have have some pretty strong feelings about it and it's usually not supportive you know they favor the beef the chicken the pork and and that's great I love beef chicken and pork but lamb is highly underrated
1: yeah I I love lamb Mike you had your first first bite of real lamb today at
2: least that I remember I mean my mom grew up on a on a sheep ranch and we really didn't eat a lot of lamb and so I was pretty skeptical When you're like, yeah, Danny's coming over. He's going to cook us up some lamb chops, and then we're going to do the podcast. I was like, oh, cool. It was phenomenal. It was really good. But you had all kinds of tips and tricks. Like, It sounds like lamb's pretty easy to screw up, and that's part of why a lot of
0: people don't like it. It's. I don't think it's easy to screw up. I think it's pretty bulletproof. You saw we cooked some super hot, and it turned out good, and we cooked some a little bit lower, and it turned out good. But as far as I think the, I think where the mistakes come in is how you serve it. Because everybody said, you know, the nine and a half out of people, nine and a half out of 10 people, Hey, do you like lamb? They're going to say, you know, no, I don't like it. And everybody's going to say, well, it depends on how you cook it. And then their answer will be, yeah, that's what the last guy said. And I tried it and it still tasted bad. I think it's less about the cooking. It's very forgiving and how you're cooking, but it's how you serve it. So lamb is a, lamb is a social meal. If you go, if you rewind the clock and, and and think about how the other countries are eating lamb, or think about how lamb was eaten early on, you know, it wasn't packaged up and, and nice and sold on the, the store shelf and that kind of thing. You'd, you'd cook a lamb, an entire lamb, at the whole time. And In fact, in South America, when I lived there, they'd do, uh, they call it crucified lamb, and they'd, they'd put a whole lamb on a cross... And you'd start your gathering, and, and so your your hindquarters may finish cooking first, and you'd just go up and slice off a piece of lamb straight off the fire. Oh, wow. And you'd eat it, and you'd readjust the cross. And, and, you know, by the time the night was over, you have you and your group have eaten the whole lamb, but it's just cooked as you go. And so where I think a lot of people mess up lamb is how they serve it. It's got to be, in my opinion, it needs to be served hot, and it needs to be served You know, right off the right off the heat, you know, if you think about how traditionally society would serve dinner, you'd stand around the grill or the coals or whatever, you'd cook it, you'd put it on a plate, you'd take it in, you'd set it on the table, you'd call the family in, hey, dinner's ready, you'd finish setting the table, putting the napkins and the tablecloth or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, and by the time you eat that, lamb's been sitting there for maybe 10-15 minutes and for a steak or a tri-tip or something, that's perfect because you want it to rest. But with a lamb, some of that flavor that people think is offensive comes from the fat. And as it cools, that fat starts to harden up again. And that's where you kind of get that offensive flavor. And so if you eat it uh, like a social meal, hot off the grill, like a like a appetizer, essentially, just here, slice a piece and eat a piece. I've never had anyone try it that way and say that they were offended by it or that it was not pleasing to them, that it's, you know, that it's, that it's not a good, that's not a good meal. But I've had a lot of people that have tried it at a dinner table or at a restaurant or fill in the blank at wherever other, you know, social gathering. And they say that it's not their favorite because there's kind of some strong flavors associated with it. And I, I think it's in large how it's served.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> that's a great call out. And, and I'm glad you talked about like with steak, brisket, like any of the big meats like that resting period like it's crucial like mm-hmm. I'll rest a brisket for 2 hours before I serve it yeah and like if you did that even like with a leg of lamb which is a bigger cut of meat like probably be horrible
0: yeah eat it hot it's got to be hot that's awesome
1: mm-hmm. for uh, for your thanksgiving what
0: what what cut did you use <laughs> Oh, man. Or all of the above. Why did you say that? I can't (laughs) think of it now. Oh, my gosh. Come to me. It's the uh, rack of lamb.
2: Cool. Yeah. How did you cook it?
0: Over charcoal. Okay. And uh, same thing I did today. You do a light brush of olive oil, kosher salt, rosemary, garlic, high heat. And uh, so how did you serve it in a, in a Thanksgiving setting, setting when I just said, eat it like an appetizer? The table was set. The potatoes were on. The carrots were on. Everything was on. Everybody, it was like NASCAR. Everybody, hold your <laughs> positions. And you know, I, I yelled from the grill, hey, food's going to be done in five minutes. So like the kids are gathered up they're sitting at the table. I'm not joking you can ask my wife you can ask anyone about <laughs> this is I'm awesome. just
1: thinking uh, I'm like sitting here thinking about your boys like geared up ready to yeah. go working fork ready like, to go yeah.
0: no, I'm, I it, exactly and uh, so yeah hey dinner's done or lunch is done or you know whatever it is is done and and uh, we brought the meat in and and hit the cutting board with it and boom 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 hmm. so it was it was sub one minute. From the time it came off the grill to the time it was on plates next to potatoes and carrots ready to be eaten, it was sub one minute and, and it was great. Everybody loved it, including my kids who helped raise the lambs. I think that's an important part of the story is that was that was a big part of the Thanksgiving experience, too, As the whole family was involved in planting the garden, you know, raising the animals, processing the animals. We processed them all by ourselves. Mm. How did the kids do with that? Uh, they did pretty well. Uh, my middle child struggled a little bit, but um, shocker, it's because he didn't listen. And um, so, you know, we told him what was going to happen, but then for the for the dispatching process, I did ask them to go in the house and um, and then I was going to bring them back out and they could help skin the animal and and uh, and clean it out. But Nash had snuck out and so he actually saw the dispatching process when I didn't know that he was seeing the dispatching process. And mm-hmm. and I think that that bothered him, which is actually, I think, good that it bothered him. I'm actually, you, you know, know. I, I don't want to see him uncomfortable and I don't and I want to see him sad. But I, I do think that we've moved a little bit away from that in society that, that uh, you know, people don't really get to feel what death is like until it's a big life-changing traumatic event, like a father or a mother or a sibling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually from a parent perspective, glad he got to experience a little bit of, Oh, life is life is a gift Mm -hmm. and life is can be lost.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've got to think that added, added a little bit to that true Thanksgiving spirit. The,
0: yeah, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, but it's yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny how I think all three of our our middle boys are about the same age, and I just I love that all three of them are like if if I had to go through all of our families and pick the one kid that was like not gonna listen and was gonna do it. Like it's the it's those three 100%. boys. I,
0: I love all of them, but I like to think of my middle boy as me without a filter. Like he's just, zoom, just. Yeah. I love if, that. If I acted on every thought that ever went through my mind, it would probably come out just like him.
1: There are not many kids that, not just rock a mullet, but
0: actively ask to have one. Danny. So. Oh yeah. Oh, by the way, he's five, yeah. and he's okay. been and he's been asking and maintaining. A pretty well groomed mullet for probably the last two years yes yeah, like it, it started young yeah, yeah a- he, he watched a kid jump a bike on a video of course watched a kid jump a bike with like ape hanger handlebars from the 80s and he's like i'm gonna be that guy and i was like say no more <laughs> say no yeah, more i'll get the buzzers." <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that's that's not a joke that's real <laughs> that's awesome oh that's awesome
1: well <clears throat> Danny thanks for first of all thanks for the lamb this morning it was delicious You're welcome. Um, and thanks for thanks for taking the time come and chat with us and uh and tell the world about lamb let's uh hopefully after this you know if we survey our l- listeners maybe we'll get to
0: you know only 9 out of 10 are going to stick their nose up at lamb. Maybe we converted 0. 0.5. Hey, if there's anyone that wants to challenge it, I'll cook lamb for anybody. If they, <laughs> you know, if you want an invite to come eat lamb, come on over. I, I know a guy that raises them.
2: Yeah. You've converted me. I'll be gonna honest. Say, I was going to be one of those people that would be like, yeah,
1: I mean, lamb? I don't know. But, man, it was really good. Be careful what you offer, Danny. We've got a pretty engaged listener base. You, uh, <laughs> you may have a few people show up on your doorstep. <laughs>
0: I have a couple lambs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Alrighty. Well, thank you, Danny. Um, Thanks for being here with us. Thanks for being the, uh, I guess, the second guest. Yeah,
2: that's true, Haley. You don't count the boys' book report.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're that book report. (laughs) Thanks for for being a, a guest on Fat Guys with Smokers. And until next time, I'm John. I'm Mike. And we're Fat Guys with Smokers. Thanks for listening to the Fat Guys with Smokers podcast. Be sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe so you don't forget to tune in for even more nonsense from a couple of Fat Guys with Smokers.
2: Don't forget like, subscribe.